0: Good morning. It's good to see a few more people out there than last time I spoke. I was starting to get nervous whether I had an effect on people. Um, but you've obviously come back, uh, even though it's half term. I had a conversation with Tim before the service today about kind of how I felt about this, and Tim said, You're all right. And I said, I oh, wish I was a bit more nervous, really. Well, I'm getting there now. <laughs> I d- I don't like the thought that I might think I've got it sorted and I don't need God. Well, I really need God this morning, and don't we all? Um, Linda's convinced me to wear this kind of Britney Spears-style microphone for the first time. If that goes wrong, I'm going to switch. Convince my beard's going to scratch it or something. I'm normally on the other end of this relationship. (laughs) So I'm really privileged this morning to be speaking from the Sermon on the Mount. It's something that since we said we were going to talk through Matthew. I've just been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount before we'd even kind of divvied up who was doing what. And then I looked at the schedule Graham sent out and he put me down for the first bit. went, oh, big responsibility. <laughs> um, today we've had had yeah just the first section of the Sermon on the Mount read to us. It's three chapters long or thereabouts. Um, and it's just some of the most powerful teaching in the Bible, I think, that Completely challenges me and leaves me stumped as to what to know, how to respond, what to do. And this morning, I don't come to share what God's shown me this week because I've got it sorted. I come to kind of share the um, big questions that have risen and the things that have challenged me and challenged my faith. And hopefully, they'll, they'll encourage you to explore and be challenged as well. I was given the Beatitudes and Salt and Light. And I was given this slightly curious title that I thought was a mashup at first. I thought Graham had made a mistake of blessed are the salt and light. I'm sure that's not one of the titles in the Bible. Ruth said maybe there's meant to be a slash in it. Blessed are slash salt and light. But actually, as you'll see, I really like it now. Thank you, Graham. (laughs) It's grown on me. Um, So in the text we've just been uh, read, which is from the NLT, uh, Jesus says in verse 14, "'You are the light of the world.'" Come on, Mark. We had a conversation about this. Were the chocolate buttons not nearly as compelling for you as they are for Hannah? Linda's passing one each time he's on time. Um, You are the light of the world. That's you, that's me, that's us, followers of Christ. Which did catch me out for a minute, because I think I've not really read that into that passage very much before. I'm more used to when Jesus says... Uh, in John 8 12 I am the light of the world people more familiar with that one he says if you follow me you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life yet in the passage we're reading today he says you are the light of the world the church us are Christ's body here on earth right now it says in 1 Corinthians 12 27 all of you together are Christ's body And each of you are a part of it. We are all Christ's body. So if Jesus came to be a light to the world, then guess whose task that's just become as well? All of us. A little warning about my talk today, I'll try and keep it brief, but there's an awful lot of scripture in it, which isn't my normal style. Um, I hope that I'm using scripture correctly and not trying to get it to say what I want. But uh, there's a lot of verses, and I'll put them all on screen as a result, just to make it a bit easier to follow. They're all from the New Living Translation. So we're talking about salt and light this morning. Salt and light are generally good things. I can think of instances where they're not, but generally they're good things. Salt brings out the flavour of food. I love cooking, and cooking without salt would be much more of a challenge, or without things that are salty that we can add. Um, It can also help preserve things, be it food or or anything else. Um, Imagine the sea without salt in it. That would be a bit grim. Um, And it can also heal. It can bring healing to a wound or... um, Yeah, that. Light, on the other hand, brings clarity and causes the absence of darkness. Now, I could have got sidetracked with light. We could start in Genesis 1 and talk about light and how it's portrayed in the Bible. God says there's light and it's good. It's good and it overcame the... Yeah, we won't go down that today, but light's good too. In the message, uh, this passage uh, talks about salt and light, and it says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth, and you're here to be light bringing out the God colours in this world. I really like that. Salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours, and light that brings out the God colours. Yet somehow I find that If I look at my life, I don't think I look like that to the world. I probably look a bit more like the religious leaders or the Pharisees from Jesus' day. I'd prefer like them to turn the Bible into a set of moral rules that I could apply universally to everybody except me. Um, (laughs) And I could probably tell everybody else what I think is wrong about their life and how they should do it better and how they should be a better follower of Jesus. And I don't even have the mirror to see it for me. So Jesus came as a light and he looked really different to what I look like. So let's just have a quick look through a few verses that I think show a glimpse of the way Jesus went about this. In Matthew 12 verses 9 to 14, we find the story of Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand. Now, unfortunately, it's on the Sabbath and on the Sabbath, it's against the law to work. And the religious leaders have done a good job of adding plenty to the law and really defining it so we can be nice and clear where the line is drawn. So basically doing anything on the Sabbath has become against the law, including healing. So the religious leaders catch Jesus about to heal this man with the shriveled hand. They know what he's going to do. They know what he's like. He can't resist healing people. It's a problem. (laughs) And they catch him and they say, well, um, what what are you going to do? This man's got a shriveled hand, and I I can just see that you're itching to do something about that. What does the law say about this? And Jesus' response says, Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. He doesn't hide behind the law. He doesn't use the law as a way of saying, Well, actually, next day off, sorry, can't do any work. I'd love to, but no. No. In John 8, verses 1 to 11, we've got another problem from the religious leaders. They've managed to catch a woman in adultery. I'm curious how long they spent trying to do this, whether it was easy, whether they were spying. I could expand that a bit further. Ruth said I shouldn't. Um, So we'll stop that there. Um, I'll let you explore that one yourself. And they bring this woman who's been caught in adultery to Jesus. And guess what? The law says in a way that they thought Jesus could not hide from it, the law says that the wages for this sin are death by stoning. So they've got the people with the stones, they've got the woman caught in adultery, and they've got Jesus, and they say, right, there you go. They know what he's going to want to do. They know that he doesn't want to stone her. This isn't Jesus' style. It's just not going to want to happen, but they've got the law, first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they've got him caught. So Jesus, in his kind of Beautiful way, says, You've got me. Stoner, then. Okay, let's do this. But I'll tell you what, fair's fair. First person to throw the stone, you know, we'll maybe do this in pecking order. Those of you that haven't sinned, you get going first, then everyone else can join in. And they all kind of one by one put their stones down and say, He's just, he's just peed on my bonfire, he's just rained on my parade, <laughs> it's just spoilt it. We don't know what he was writing in the ground. I'd love to know, and maybe we could speculate. But I just think it's another, another story of Jesus bringing this salt and light to a situation that seemed so clear-cut. And he just wades in there and goes and forgives the woman. What does it say? Mark, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He chose not to judge her. And then in John 8:15, we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees again. And he says, you judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And it's, it's part of a bigger passage where Jesus is pointing out that actually, if he judged us, then his judgment would be perfect. And he's got God the Father backing him up as a witness to what he's doing. And it would be completely damning for us. <laughs> I'm glad he chooses not to judge us. But he points out that what we go about doing all day every day is choosing to judge people, and I do it. Maybe you don't. Graham doesn't. No? You do? You don't? Do. Okay. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Jesus chose not to judge the world. He could have done. Instead, he chose to show love to the world. And he showed love to the world by healing on the Sabbath by forgiving the woman caught in adultery, by choosing to forgive me and you and partnering with me and you who are imperfect and need him in doing his work and being his body here on earth now. Jesus did it a different way to me. Where do we get a love like this? How do we get transformed by this love so that we can approach situations? This is what I'm challenged by, by this passage, being salt and light. The situations I find myself in where I just don't know what to do. And my natural reaction is to fight back or to judge or to be scared even. But Jesus just has such wisdom and depth when he comes to a situation. And I'd like some of that. And I was asking God, where, where do we find it? I don't believe that by working hard we'll find it. I don't believe by academic study or teaching or learning or practicing we'll learn to love like Jesus shows us how to love. In 1 John verses 4, 7 to 8 it says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So it's quite a strong passage, really. Um, It tells us quite clearly that when God loves us, then we're able to love other people. And if we want some more love, we want some more love to give out, we're feeling like we have to suck it up a bit or try hard, then God is the source of that. But it is also an evidence of our faith to other people that if we say we've got God, but we don't act out of love, then actually that doesn't tally up, that doesn't match. If we've experienced God's love, then it will be evidenced in our love by one another. Um, in John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, Paul's um, talking about love, uh, and he goes on to do so in a very famous passage. Uh, Recommend it for your wedding, Chris. Um, (laughs) But I'm just going to use the first bit of it, and I've only put some of it on the screen, so I'll read the whole thing, and Mark's going to keep perfectly in time with the bits I've put on the screen, because it was too big to fit. It says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. We can go through the motions we can live a good life the way we've been taught to we can follow Christian morals Uh, I'm reading some books at the moment that Graham uh, introduced me to Uh, some books that are written about the Navy uh, around the year 1800 and they're all Christian most of them and they have this kind of funny way of talking about get the children to behave like Christian children the ship was all a who and then we sorted it out and then it was a Christian ship again it looked more like a Christian ship Kind of Christian is some kind of standard that we've made it. Maybe it was more then, maybe it's less now, but I think I grew up with it. And I think maybe we'll do it all the time. We kind of somehow put some kind of set of standards as being equated to being Christian. And actually we can't just follow a standard or a moral code and say we've ticked the box. We've got to act out of love. And you can't do that from a set of rules Um, this one's a little bit more tenuous, but in Matthew 7, sorry whoever's preaching on that, I'm just going to steal a couple of verses. Verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's a really hard passage that over many years of reading it occasionally, I thought, how do I know? How do I know I'm not, I'm not that person? Not as I've even attained to living a life that I could write that about. I'd be proud of that. That's the problem. It's not actually talking about love, but it is the same thing. Is that actually our Christian life... Isn't this following a set of rules? It's the outworking of the relationship with Jesus and the love that he's shown to us. It can't just be going through the motions. So bringing it all together then. Jesus' approach was that he he looked at things, he looked at life, he looked at the world, he looked at scripture and people through a set of glasses. We've all heard of the phrase rose-tinted spectacles. Well, I want to contest that Jesus had some love-tinted spectacles that he didn't take off. Maybe they were love-tinted contact lenses in a a, a modern sense. He applied the law and the teaching of the Old Testament through these love-tinted glasses. He didn't hide behind the law or stick to the letter of the law or someone else's interpretation of it. He asked, Father God, what was going to happen in a situation and what his response should be he got right to the heart of the law and applied it in a really real way and I think as a church leadership we've sat around and we've talked about various difficult situations or various bits of teaching in the Bible and how we might apply them and we get to the point where we realise we can't just say precisely this is exactly what we're going to do every time, every time this particular situation comes up. And I'm realising that the reason we can't come to that is because we have to act in love. And to do that requires a fresh, living, vibrant relationship with Jesus that asks what he thinks about each situation and what he thinks about each person and requires us to look at people and look them in the eye and look at their lives and not just look at the situation. Jesus looked at the person and he looks at me and he looks at you. The religious leaders of the day, they didn't pursue a relationship with God. They pursued a standard of living that was according to this moral code. And it would seem more convenient to evangelise the world by trying to teach them a way of living that we think is a good way of living. It maybe seems harder to teach them about an unseen spiritual being that can affect their life in a deep and real way. And for me, in preparing this, I realised that each time... um, God speaks to me or shows me something new it's a bit like Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole I realise I know less and less (laughs) something new is offered but I also see the void of things that I don't understand and one day we'll see clearly but we don't yet I heard somebody say last week you've got to love people till they ask why yeah I want to love people to a point that seems reasonable and is fair love isn't fair Being salt and light then isn't something that we learn to do. It's something that happens as a response to our relationship with God. As we go deeper into that relationship with him, the transformation of me and the transformation of you goes deeper. And that is expressed and evidenced by our love for each other and for the world around us and the way that we behave. And the desire to want to change all that. In being salt and light, I don't believe it's our aim to ask people to behave as per a moral code that is salty I don't think telling the world how to live they would see as particularly refreshing or particularly bringing out the best in life they would see it as being religious and being stuffy I think Jesus was pretty exciting to talk to when he was kind of face to face and the way that he brought clarity to situations brought it alive and I would like God to do that in me in an increasing measure so I become more like Jesus And it's the love that has been shown to us, that when we express it, people ask about, well, where does that come from? Why do you approach like this? Why do you not choose to get the last word, finish the fight, win, whatever it is? Love is something that's dynamic and flexible. I used to think I was a mature Christian because I knew how to behave, like I said right back at the beginning, and I knew when other people weren't doing it right And now I'm less sure about what I know. (laughs) And I'm more sure about that I need God in every situation in my life, be it work, be it home, be it family, be it now. And I need to just seek God for what the right thing to do is, hold that against his word that he's taught me, but make sure I allow him to speak to me through it and that I don't just follow the religious traditions and moral codes that I've been brought up in. so I think I'll just close with a prayer we're going to have a bit more worship in a minute and if anyone would like to get some prayer this morning because I have found this really challenging and you've got to really hear me say it again I think I've said it a lot this isn't about trying harder the response if you're feeling challenged is to ask God to come closer and it's not like we can get close to God that's a ridiculous notion But in reaching out for him, he says that he draws near to us. And this morning, if you're feeling challenged, if you're feeling butterflies, if you're feeling inadequate, if you're feeling like you might have just been going through the motions and never actually getting the real thing, then all you need to do is reach out. Remember that we're called his children, and he's a good father. He says, ask, and the door will be answered. Um, It's a mixed metaphor, sorry. Um, God loves to come close to us all we've got to say is daddy god daddy god i feel a bit lost i want to be more like your son jesus and he just loves to bless us and come close so i'm going to pray and then i'm going to hand over to mike and if you want to get some prayer i'm up here and i'm sure a few other people might join me to pray yeah thank you god for your word thank you father god thank you that you love us so much and in such a deep way and in a way that just keeps astounding me as I understand small nuggets more of it. God, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in the world, not because we've learnt how, but because we've received something from you. And this morning, wherever we're at, God, you know what each of us have heard this morning and what each of us have responded to. I pray that you come and meet us just where we are, that as we reach out to you, that you would just come and touch us, God, and show us your love, your forgiveness, your healing. Your amazing qualities, thank you that you've chosen not to judge us. Amen.